welcome to episode 173 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Monday night, November 18th, 2019. The Duke Blue Devils men's basketball team is number one. We are going to have a lot to say about that. I am your host this week, Sam Klein. I am coming to you, as always, from Durham, North Carolina, home of the Blue Devils. I am joined, as usual, by Jason Evans in Atlanta. Jason, hello. Is your internet back? Uh, so here's the deal with my internet. I am in my friend Josh Tolchin's house. Josh went to Duke. Uh, he's a big Duke fan. And uh, my internet, still not working. AT&T U-verse, I hate you. I hate you with a passion, AT&T U-verse. But... Josh has loaned me his internet. I'm at his house, and everything is fine for the moment. We will uh, we'll we'll hope to wrap this up quickly, given the given the imposition that you are causing on your friend. Donald Wine is usually with us. He is in the Cayman Islands this week. Uh, anyway, we have a bunch of recordings from him uh, that we are going to play throughout the show. Uh, so don't I, think I, I I want I want everyone out there to recognize that Donald is leading the life we all wish we were leading. <laughs> yes. Which is that every so often he goes, I'm going to go travel with the sports team. I'm going to go travel with the men's soccer team or the women's soccer team, and I'm going to go to the Cayman Islands. He works darn hard when he's not traveling with the team, so he can afford to do that, but he is in the Caymans, and that is way cooler than being in your friend's house in Atlanta. Yeah, so Donald, why don't why don't we just throw it over to pre-record, pre-roll Donald. Donald, why don't you tell us about being in the Caymans? Hey, Sam and Jason, I am here in the Cayman Islands of all places uh, for the United States men's national team game on Tuesday night against Cuba. Uh, I've been here for a few days taking in some R&R and just kind of enjoying life uh, sort of unplugged. I know we've been communicating about how we were going to do this, and I just wanted to record a little something for these games so that you guys can go ahead and, and keep the party going in my absence. So I'm sorry I'm not there in person, but once again, I'm here on vacation and loving every minute of being here in the Caymans, but missing this week's episode with you guys. But hopefully I know you guys will pick up in my absence. All right. So we will be throwing it to Donald periodically. Just, re- just remember that he can't react to us because he recorded all of this stuff a few hours before we got online. So we are going to run through the results from the basketball team this week. We will preview the coming week's basketball games. We will also briefly talk about the football team. Oh God. Uh, oh, we'll, God. we'll, we'll make sure to, we'll make sure to keep that short. The season is mercifully coming to an end soon in a couple weeks. But uh, in the meantime, we do have to talk about the, as I said, the number one blue devils. Before we do that, we of course wanted to thank our sponsors as always bird Campbell, PA Bird Campbell uh, with law offices in Florida and Texas. For all of your business legal needs, contact Bird Campbell at B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L dot com. Bird Campbell means business. So to business, Duke went 2-0 this weekend. And I think we somewhat predicted the the relative nature of these two games, but I think both of them were more extreme perhaps than we expected. So in, yeah. in the first game, it's kind of crazy, you know, <laughs> in, in, in the first game of the week, we told you that Duke would crush central Arkansas going away. And Oh boy, they did that 105 to 54. It was more than double at halftime. 
and it was basically no contest from the tip. So I will hand it over to Donald on the beach for his report on the Central Arkansas win. The first thing I want to talk about with Central Arkansas in that game is really the defense. Uh, we had 14 steals, and they enforced 21 turnovers in, in total. That is something that I, I really like to see from this team, and really that is what fed a lot of the offense that we had. We went off to a toward start uh, to start the game, and it was really because of that defense feeding our offense and just the pressure that we exhibit from end to end. I think that's something that you want to see every game all the time. And really the guys were doing that uh, against central Arkansas. I'll also comment really on the three point shooting and the free throw shooting. We've been talking about this all, you know, all season so far, about how that needs to improve for us to be a really good basketball team. And really when it comes to these games, this is two stats that we always look at. We looked at it last year. That was kind of our Achilles heel. This time around, we did really great. Nine for 18 from three-point land, 12 for 14 from the free throw line. We we're making our free throws. That is a good sign. You want to see that because those are free points. Not taking those for granted. Nine from beyond the arc. That means that a lot of people, and a lot of people were getting their shots off. And I think that's great because you want to make sure that everybody feels confident when it comes to shooting behind the arc. That's only going to make defenses be more spread out and allow our inside presence to shine. That happened against Central Arkansas. Because you see, you talk about Vernon Carey. Vernon Carey had 17 points, 8 of 10 from the floor, 1 of 10 from the line. That's something that you uh, only get when you have people on the outside making their jumpers spread out a little bit. That creates more open lanes to drive. You have a lot of guys like Matthew Hurt, Cassius Stanley, Jevin Delorier, Alex O'Connell, Wendell Moore. All of those guys were in double figures. And Jordan Goldwire was just shy at nine points. So the ball was spread around very well. The defense played very well. Our shooting was great, and that allowed everybody to be able to get in on the action. And on the glass, you know, we took care of business. Vernon Carey leading the way with 10 rebounds. So uh, I really liked what I saw against Central Arkansas. I really enjoyed uh, the, the offensive display, you know, scoring 105 points is always cool. Uh, but I, I really mostly enjoyed the defense and how that fueled everything that we did against Central Arkansas. And I'd like to see more of it this season. All right, Jason, do you have anything to add about this game in which I think Wendell Moore like played the majority of the minutes? And uh, th- like, is there anything worth taking away from from this blowout in Cameron? I mean, there are a couple things worth taking away. One is if you're an opponent that sort of wants to play fast, um, which Central Arkansas is, Duke may not be the ideal team to play against. I think you probably have to be a little more deliberate, a little more selective in your in your shots and and uh, and in trying to create opportunities for yourself against a team <laughs> that plays defense as well as Duke does um, because uh, Central Arkansas just shot abysmally. Um, it wasn't like Duke was tearing down the nets. We had a good day from three, but it wasn't like, you know, this is one of these games where we're, where we're shooting, um, you know, 70% from the field. Um, and Central Arkansas was not able to keep up with, with the type of game that we were playing. Uh, I, I was very impressed. I thought this week was a great week for Vernon Carey. Um, he is so under control. He has such advanced, sophisticated moves for for a guy who's just a freshman um you can tell he's incredibly comfortable in the post uh and especially playing against a team like central arkansas that really does not have anyone who can match up with him physically um or anyone who is anywhere close to his skill level um vernon carey is just going to have his way and 
and he did. I mean, 17 points, 10 rebounds in only 20 minutes of action. Um, you know, that's a that's a pretty pretty darn nice uh, stat line from him. Um, you know, Matthew Hurt uh, came out of a little bit of the the three point shooting slump that maybe he'd been in. He went three for three from behind the arc, which is really good to see. I, you guys know I've been singing the praises of his three point stroke for a while, and I thought it was uh, it was really um, excellent in this game. You know, the, perhaps the most notable thing about the game was that Trey Jones, you know, banged his head, um, and uh, and he, so he only played nine minutes in this game. And uh, uh, I guess maybe some people were perhaps a little bit worried about you know whether Trey might have to uh, sit out a little bit. And Coach K after the game immediately said, "No, no, he's going to be fine." And and as we saw against Georgia State, he was more than fine. But I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, what what were your takeaways from it, Sam? Yeah, I I agree with. Uh, Donald's take that I think that the defense is the best takeaway here. Obviously a game where Trey Jones doesn't even play 10 minutes is not going to be hopefully representative of anything that we see the rest of the season. So um, it's sort of nice to be able to empty the bench a little bit. Like I mentioned, Wendell Moore was playing the majority of the minutes and the other games so far would suggest that he is, uh, he's not going to get a ton of playing time in competitive games, at least, you know, from what we have seen. So I don't want to take away too much from the Central Arkansas game. I would actually rather really, yeah. really quick. I, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, uh, it's still early in the season. Guys are still Coach K is still figuring out everybody's roles and rotations and the such. Um, I, I think it's very possible that that we're. I think we're going to see double digit minutes from Wendell Moore throughout the year for sure. Um, probably mid to upper teens in most. You don't want to. You don't want me to just jump ones. to conclusion. You don't want me to jump to conclusions about Coach K shortening the bench. That's not <laughs> no, not yet. I think it's not going to happen this year. I I keep on saying I think it is not going to happen this year. Nine this is, or ten deep every single game. I'm telling the, you. Look, the, the, this is one of those things where maybe we have to look up in mid January and see how that's going because yeah, uh, obviously Duke has a, a couple more somewhat competitive games coming up prior to the prior to the holiday break, but not a ton. So so there are going to be more of these Central Arkansas, I think, than there are going to be uh, Georgia States and Kansases, uh, which is a sentence that I don't think anyone has ever said about, <laughs> about college about basketball. State, right. Right. But, but with that said, that said, let, let's actually move to the Georgia state game. Cause I think there's a lot more for us to unpack on this one. And again, I'll, I'll let Donald kick it off. Georgia state game was just kind of erratic and, and really bad execution all around, but I will focus on a couple of positives. The first being Trey Jones, Trey Jones, 31 points, four six assists, two rebounds, and even a block shot. He was all over the place. He really led the team on offense. And when we needed something, Trey Jones was there to have it for us. Uh, That is the kind of leadership you expect to see from your captain and your floor general. And and really, that's the positive that I'm looking at right here when it comes to to this game in particular. Vernon Carey had 20 points and 14 rebounds. He was six for 11 from three uh, from the free throw line. And seven for 14 from the field. Those are the two guys that were in double figures. Everyone else was in single digits and really didn't have a great game offensively. Defensively, I will point out that we had 58 rebounds, including 30 of them. A mind-boggling 30 of them being on the offensive glass. That is unheard of. That is a stat that you probably won't see again in college basketball this season. 30 offensive rebounds, 58 in total. That is where we excelled because... 
obviously we had a lot of, of shots. We had a lot of chances to get second chance points, third chance points, fourth chance points, and down the line. But also on defense, we had to clear out them uh, and, and get points in the paint. We had to clear them out and get on the run uh, to get our uh, lead back and also just to put them away at the end. So that is what I'm looking at when it comes to this Georgia State game. We're the number one team in the country now, and we can't have games like this anymore going forward because everyone's going to be giving us with Cal on Thursday night in New York City during the 2K Classic. So if we're going to be uh, bad on, on, on offense, at least with the execution, our defense has to be there. Our defense has been there so far this year, but really we need the shooting to recover. It was great against uh, Central Arkansas, but it was not against Georgia State. We need to get the Central Arkansas game back and get that shooting team back in the gym so that come Thursday against Cal, we're a much better team offensively. Seven for 28 from three-point lands, not going to do it. We're going to have to do better than that, or at least – take fewer shots and be more efficient on offense with our offense. 25 for 73 from the total floor, 34%. That's not going to get it done. We want to be more towards 50%. If we do that against Cal, we'll be a much better basketball team and one that is going to win. But we have to do that on Thursday night. We have to get this game out of the rear view. Now we're the number one team in the country. We need to start playing like it. All right. So we have his take. Jason, Trey Jones was back in this game. He didn't miss a second. And honestly, it seemed like Duke needed him out there because right up until the end of the game, it seemed like Georgia State was was keeping it competitive. It was only a two-point game at halftime. What what, what was going on in, in Cameron this weekend? So I feel like this is one of those games, uh, and maybe I'm wrong and others will have a different take. To me, this is one of those games, I feel like Duke has one of these every year where – I look up at the score at various points, you know, around halftime, maybe even into the first few minutes of the second half. And and like the opponent is right in there. And yet I'm not even mildly worried um, because it's abundantly clear to me that Duke is the better team, um, that they're going to, to you know, figure out a way to, to come away with with an, a victory. Probably, you know, probably not the, the typical 25 to 30 point victory that you might expect, but. But on the other hand, I don't think it's a game um, where where I where it feels like Duke is going to be scrambling in the final three minutes to get their win, and that's sort of what happened with this game. Um, Georgia State hung in there very nicely. I thought they they executed well. They played hard, um, but Duke was just too big and athletic. the The rebounding is so the, the twin stories of this game. There's there's of course Trey Jones taking over for a few minutes in the second half. He scores. 10 points as part of a 13 nothing run that Duke goes on. And he, um, he went he went four for eight from three in this game. Yeah. Trey yeah, Jones went four for eight. I'll tell you what I loved. I was looking at Trey Jones' shot chart. Um, you know, folks, if you go to ESPN, you can look and click on the play-by-play button. You can isolate individual players' shot charts to see where they took shots. And, I, we, I know, loved- and we know, Jason, that that is one of your absolute favorite things to do. Thank you. Like, yes, you, it is. I love have- the Trey Jones' shot chart in this game because it is – it's three pointers, most of which he was wide open on, and he's four of eight, which is a I'll take that any day of the year from Trey Jones from anybody who's shooting long distance. That's a great percentage. Um, every other shot he takes is in the lane. I mean, a couple of them are sort of you know right on the elbow kind of stuff, but kind of those he did those, stuff- those those like pull up floater type shots that he yes, likes to take, which he's great at. I mean, that that's a shot that he's going to hit a lot, lot, lot of the time. I, I thought he did a fabulous job of finding his spots 
finding um, his way into the Georgia State defense. Georgia State is not – I mean, like, the difference in Georgia State and Central Arkansas was abundantly clear from watching the game. Georgia State is a is the kind of team that is probably going to contend for um, for a conference title and a spot in the NCAA tournament. They're a team that's made the NCAA tournament multiple times in, in recent years. So, uh, you know, th- this is not a, a, a wretched opponent that we're playing. Um, so I thought Trey Jones is one of the big stories. And the other big story has to be Duke's rebounding. I mean, uh, Duke got 58 rebounds in this game, including 30 offensive rebounds. Um, according to Duke's sports information department, it is the most offensive rebounds of any team in Coach K's 40 seasons. We out-rebounded them 58 to 32. And even though we couldn't shoot, we were only 34% from the field. We had so many offensive rebounds that it allowed us to, you know, like I said, we, I feel like even though the score looked like it was really close, I wasn't all that worried. It felt to me like if we really needed it, we were going to be able to do it. Um, do you disagree? Were you, were you concerned? I mean, it's on the one hand really awesome that, that Duke was able to control the glass so hard. I do think that it's concerning that we can out-rebound a team by that much and only win by something like 10 points. I mean, that that's a um, that's something that I'm sure they are getting their butts kicked about this week in practice because Coach K doesn't – normally, uh, you know, maybe with some of these overmatched opponents, but when we get into ACC play, Duke isn't usually the team that's that's out-rebounding by a lot to to win the game. The I think the last few years, even when we've had – good rebounders, the overall team rebounding has not been as good as some of the other top opponents in the ACC, thinking about the Virginias and the North Carolinas. So this is not a formula that Duke is usually able to rely on for wins. Now, we've talked about how this team, the makeup is just different. The As you said, the, the bench could be a lot longer. There are more guards on this team that are able to rebound. And, you know, you've got guys like Alex O'Connell who seem like that, you know, he's athletic and, and likes rebounding. Um, Cassius Stanley appears to be the same way. So it, it's not a usual formula for Duke. So a little bit of that is concerning because I just don't know that Coach K is, has coached a team like this before. But, um, I mean, it works. So, you know, I'll, unclear I'll, unclear if this is going to work against Michigan State, right? Yeah, so I'll say something really interesting to me. Uh, about the rotations, you know, we've talked a lot about about the bench and how deep Coach K is going to go and things like that. Do you know that among sort of that cadre of wing players, Cassius Stanley played the most minutes, not a surprise there. He He's clearly established himself as the best of those wing guys early in the season. But the guy who played the second most wing minutes was Joey Baker with 15. He had more than Alex O'Connell. He had more than Wendell Moore. He had more than Jordan Goldwire, even though Jordan Goldwire was called on um, – Oh, sorry, wrong game, wrong game. I was thinking of Jordan Goldwire replacing Trey Jones. That was the earlier game. (laughs) In this game, though, where Jordan Goldwire wasn't playing point guard because Trey Jones was playing it the whole time, Joey Baker, of all those guys who are sort of vying for the the wing minutes, Joey Baker had the most um, of any of them. And and coming into this game, everyone would have said, oh, in a close competitive contest, Joey Baker's 10th man on this team. He's probably not going to get as much time. Lo and behold, here's Coach K playing his 10th man for 15 minutes of the game. So I continue to say, I'll go back to something I said earlier, this is going to be a different Duke team than you've seen in recent years. This is a team that's going to go deep. And by the way, one of the reasons Joey Baker was playing was because he was actually hitting his shots more than the other guys were playing on the wing. Alex O'Connell was 0 for 3 on the game. Jordan Goldwire was 0 for 2. Wendell Moore was 1 for 5. 
So Joey Baker, who went three for six, including hitting two three-pointers, he got more minutes than those guys. I think that's what we're going to see Coach K do a lot this season. Which guy has the hot hand? Which guy is playing well? Which guy is working well with the other guys on the floor with him at that moment? And that guy is going to be the guy who gets a little more time. And the only way that kind of thing works is if you give all 10 guys a chance. And that's what Coach K has been doing so far. So, yeah, it's a game we only win by 11 points. But I learned a lot from this game. And I think it's a game that, um, you know, we may see this kind of rotation thing replicated over the course of the season. I think you're going to see Coach K experimenting a lot with guys early in the game, like trying to get shots around to different players and and using Trey Jones to facilitate that to see by the time the second half comes around who's got it tonight and who doesn't. And there will be nights where it's Joey Baker like it was on Friday. There will be nights perhaps when it's Cash Stanley or nights when it's um, when it's Alex O'Connell or Wendell Moore or, or Jordan Goldwire. Any of these guys are capable of of having a great game and it's a matter of figuring out sort of who's on that night. And that's one of the challenges of course, with having the big rotation is that you can't give all of them 15 minutes in the first half to, to see what that looks like. Hey, my, my last word on this game is about the big men. Just really quickly. Uh, we have to, you know, tip our cap to Vernon Carey who, uh, you know, moments after I, I mentioned in the previous game, he had 17 points and 10 rebounds. He does 20 points and 14 rebounds in this game, including seven offensive boards. He's one of the few guys in the team who is able to convert shots from the field other than Trey Jones. Um, and uh, this was a game where Javin Delorier uh, got in tremendous, tremendous foul trouble. He, he only played six minutes. And as a result, we, we counted on Vern, Vernon Carey for 34 that's a big minute number for for a guy like Vernon who who's got kind of a bigger body and and you can tell sometimes he needs a little bit of a break. Um, so I I really thought he was outstanding in this contest and you know he's the guy who set the tone on um, uh, on the offensive glass that that keyed those thirty offensive rebounds the record breaking thirty offensive rebounds for Duke. Yeah, if Carey is able to give us thirty minutes a night and put up double doubles, then he is I think better than most of us would have anticipated coming into the season because I, I don't think that was the expectation. I think we were looking at, you know, 25, maybe two 30 minutes, 20, you know, 25, I think was really the, the, the good expectation for him. He didn't come in with, uh, with Marvin Bagley's reputation, right? Uh, he's yeah. Yeah. He, and, and I think, I think we would have pegged him for about, you know, maybe 14 and eight for his numbers. Uh, if he's putting which, up, which would have been great, be great by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if he's not, putting up, <laughs> not every not everyone is Marvin Bagley. Not everyone is Zion no. Williamson in, in that department. <laughs> or even so, or even Wendell Carter. If he, or even if Wendell Carter. Up, yeah, if he's putting up sixteen or seventeen and eight plus rebounds, nine plus rebounds, uh, maybe Duke actually does deserve to be number one. <laughs> there we go. All right, uh, Jason. Anything more to to add on the games from last week? No, no. Other than to say, I think we're probably not quite as good as we looked as we were against Central Arkansas, winning by 50 points, and we're not as bad as we looked beating Georgia State by 11. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine gentleman of Bird Campbell. For all of your business legal needs in Texas and in Florida, Contact Bird Campbell at B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L dot com. Bird Campbell means business. So with those two sort of surprising games out of the way for Duke, we're looking ahead at some major conference opponents this week 
in the 2K Empire Classic or something or other. It's one of these early season tournaments that Duke is playing in. But the games, most importantly, are in Cameron North. Duke travels to Madison Square Garden on Thursday night to take on the Cal Bears. And then Friday night, assuming that things go as expected, on Thursday, Duke will play the winner of the Texas Longhorns and the Georgetown Hoyas. I think we expect that to be a Duke-Texas game, a uh, yep. rematch of, of the of the famous 2005 uh, number one versus number two game. Hopefully, hopefully it turns out just like that, if you don't remember it. Uh, <laughs> just go on YouTube and Google J.J. Reddick, Texas. I was going to say, and, is J.J. Reddick coming back to school for that game? I'll take J.J. Uh, again. <laughs> Duke fans... Duke fans, if you don't remember the 2005 number one versus number two game that happened in December, uh, that that is worth that is worth some YouTube time because uh, oh, yeah. JJ JJ Reddick really really turned that was a that was a big game for the Blue Devils. But this is not the 2006 team that unfortunately lost in the Sweet 16. This is the 2020 team, and they have some major conference opponents coming up this week. So, Jason, you have taken a look at the Cal Bears, as well as Texas and Georgetown. Tell me what you see for these games this weekend in a tournament that Duke is expected to win. But, uh, you know, you never know how, how these things are going to go, although the crowd should be in their favor, right? Yeah, yeah, playing in New York. I mean, this is uh, Madison Square Garden, to some extent, is Duke's home away from home. It's one of a couple home away from homes that we have where we traditionally do very, very well. Let me start with, the, uh, with Cal. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, Cal is a very deep team. They play nine players, meaningful minutes. So this won't be a game where Duke's bench has a big advantage. Um, Cal has five different guys who average double digits. But the the main player that you need to watch out for, the guy who is their leader, is sophomore guard Matt Bradley. Uh, this is a dude who hit 48% of his three-pointers last year as a freshman. And this year, he's even better. He's hitting over 50% of his threes this year. He's shooting a lot more threes than he did a year ago. As a result, his scoring average is going up. His past two games, he hit he, he attempted seven three-pointers in each one of those games. We cannot leave this guy alone, or he has the potential to, to shoot us out of the building to some extent. Um, Cal's been pretty efficient on offense thus far. They, um, they've been good at getting... Uh, you know, shots, either three-pointers or shots that they can make pretty easily. And that's been the hallmark of, of their all their wins thus far. Um, but they haven't played anyone notable. Um, they haven't played a single team that's close to being in the top 100 in any of the, you know, computer rankings, Ken Pomeroy, anything like that. And and, and it, it feels like uh, even though Cal has done well to be 3-0, they're they're playing a game right now and we'll see, you know, how it goes. We can't comment on that because it's, hasn't hasn't happened doesn't happen until you know for about another hour from now but um most of the experts most of the computers look at this game and and they see duke as a a pretty solid favorite um cal uh even though they've done nicely against these bad opponents um it just doesn't look like they have the kind of players that can compete with duke most of the experts are saying that duke's going to win this game by 12 to 14 points somewhere in that kind of ballpark so you know, competitive. It's not like we're going to blow the doors off of them in all likelihood, but it doesn't feel like Cal's the kind of team that's going to be able to stay with us over the course of an entire game. And um, as good as Matt Bradley is, I, I, I certainly like Duke's chances with Trey Jones um, uh, guarding him. Uh, Trey, you know, obviously perhaps the best perimeter defender in all of college basketball. So that takes us to the second game, which is either going to be Georgetown. Give me or a, wait, before we, yeah, before we go, move go. on to that, yeah. before we move on to that, I, I'm 
I don't think there's a ton to um, there's sort of a ton to add from from your summary of the game. What would you expect to be, um, you know, something of a of a final score here? Like, is, is this is this a pretty comfortable win for Duke? Is this um, something that might be closer? You know, after after the Georgia State game this week, what do you how do you feel like that that um, that big rotation for Cal maybe affects Duke? I, I mean, I don't think I just don't think Cal is good enough to to really punish Duke. Um, I, I, I would guess the final score, like, let's say like uh, 82 to 68, somewhere in that kind of ballpark. Um, uh, Cal is not a team that, that plays super fast. In fact, they're a team that likes to play pretty slowly. Um, one of the slowest paces of, of every, of anyone in college basketball. So I don't see Duke putting up a huge number on them. Um but but you know, like I say, I I, I agree with uh, those computer models that say we're looking at about a, a fourteen point win for the Blue Devils. I think it'll be a a classic sort of comfortable win. You'll see Duke probably you know leading by eight to twelve points at halftime and then, then sort of treading water from there the rest of the game. That'd be my expectation for the game. I don't, the Pac twelve isn't that good, and and Cal is not even one of the better teams in the Pac twelve. All right, why don't you tell me about the Texas and Georgetown situation for Friday night? Oh yeah, so that's going to be a much more enticing matchup. I, uh, if we play Georgetown, it'll be because Georgetown has upset Texas. Um, Georgetown is just not the team that they were uh, a decade or so ago. Um, their best player, and, and this this will kind of crack people up a little bit. Um, Georgetown's best player is former NC State center Omer Yurtseven, um, who who's uh, you know was a pretty good player at NC State. He's now he was a gr- grad transfer who went to Georgetown and. He's now a pretty good player for Georgetown. Um, he's a seven-footer. Um, I think it'd be very interesting to see if we have to play them, you know, how Vernon Carey matches up against him um, because I think it could be a tough matchup for, for Vernon. But uh, I don't expect us to play Georgetown in that second game. The team I expect us to play in that second game is Texas, and they are quite good. Um, this is a Texas team that has already got a, a win on the road against a very good Purdue club. Purdue was considered a top wait, – Wait, Jason, what's the yeah. road? What do you mean? What's what's they, playing on the road? I, I'm not familiar with that concept. That's not really a – it's not really a, it's not really a Duke thing, per se. Anyway, I, as you were saying – I'm not uh, – Texas played at Purdue. That's on the road. Crazy. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> okay, now I see what you're doing. That's kind of funny. I, I just I, I missed it completely. That, that's me. That's me cracking on Duke for not playing road games, which is something that the Duke haters love to do. But now I'm co-opting their their criticism, which means yeah. that I'm using it as comedic armor against them. This is this is psychology, actually. This, this is heady stuff. This is pretty good. It's, We're going to play at Michigan State in just a couple of weeks, which is probably the toughest road game that any team in the country will have out of conference this whole year. So there uh, you go. Yeah, right. There you go. So shut up, the haters. Yeah. In any event, as I was saying, Texas went on the road and played Purdue, a very good team, and Texas won that game. And uh, this Texas club, uh, you know, is absolutely a top 25 kind of of uh, of team. Their best player, okay, if you're a fan of Duke recruiting, you'll know this name, junior point guard Matt Coleman, who Duke recruited really heavily a few years ago, um, he ended up picking Texas. Uh, he was, I want to say he was class of 2017, 
2016, 2017, I forget which it was, but in any event, this is a guy who, who Duke was after, Duke was very interested in. Um, he ended up going to Texas and he's done very nicely there. Um, he, he is their best player. Um, and his backcourt mate is a guy named Andrew Jones, who's a sophomore. The two of them are a great shooting backcourt. Um, and they are the heart of the team, the two leading scorers. The ball is always in their hands. And the two of them are – either one of them are capable um, of, of putting up big numbers from three-point land. Um, and we – you know, I, I, I wonder if we may see Coach K sick Trey Jones and Jordan Goldwire on them together. Uh, we know that he's experimented with that stuff with – with that a little bit. Um, and I wouldn't mind seeing it all because I think that if you're able to make Coleman – and and Andrew Jones, you know, struggle a bit. Texas doesn't have a lot more. Um, uh, they're they're a very poor defensive rebounding team, and and we just saw what Duke did to to Georgia State on the offensive glass. Uh, that's going to be a huge focus for for Texas. They they will not have a chance if they let Duke offensive rebound forty percent of Duke's shots. Um, if we're if we're up in that in that vicinity, which we have been in several games this year, Texas is going to go down. And and again, this is a place where Texas struggles with defensive rebounding. Um, I, I would expect Duke will be about a five to seven point favorite in this game, um, and and that's about you know what what I think the final score will be. Again, one of those games where I think Duke will sort of be kind of like the Kansas game to some extent. Duke will have a lead throughout much of the second half and probably hold them off. Um, uh, I, I don't know that. You know, I don't know that there'll be any possessions in the final five minutes. Well, Texas will have the ball with a chance to take the leaders or win. That that'd be my expectation. But I think it'll be a good competitive game. And and this Texas team, this is the kind of matchup you would get maybe in a Sweet 16, certainly in a round of 32. Um, so uh, on a neutral floor, it, it's it's Coach K again. You know, doing a great job of approximating the kind of games that we're going to have in March when um, when everything is on the line. And you know, Shaka Smart's tenure at Texas has not been quite I think what people expected but we know that Shaka Smart is a good coach and that he's got no problem getting a team fired up to play a Duke so that that could end up being a pretty fun game I think the thing that you want to look for and that Coach K I'm sure will mention at some point during pressers either leading up to it or after these games is that an event like this is something that gets the team ready for the postseason in a really significant way Cal Bears Probably not a team that's going to end up in the NCAA tournament, but Texas is. And getting this sort of back-to-back experience is something that Coach K will say prepares the team for the ACC tournament very specifically because you could see this being like day one, day two for Duke in an ACC tournament situation. And and then looking ahead at the NCAA tournament, being able to uh, play a game against a real opponent and then turn it around the next day. You don't have to do that in the NCAA tournament, but you might get like a 36 hour turnaround. And so, so the blue devils need to be uh, need to be practiced at that. So I'm sure you're going to hear coach K talk about that. And I'm sure if they win, he'll say this is their first opportunity to be champions this year. He runs the same motivational playbook. It seems like every season. So um, <laughs> yeah, I'd say be, uh, be on the lookout for, for that kind of thing coming up in these games this weekend. And hopefully some of our listeners will be uh, at the games in New York. So Feel free to let us know what the atmosphere is like up there. I will say that, you know, we we asked last time for people to tell us about their impressions of of various Duke players and who they remind us of. And Jason, have we ever gotten as much response uh, wow, on no. the PBR <laughs> podcast Gmail account as we did this week? So a number of listeners wrote to us and told us 
that Cassius Stanley reminds them of Ricky Price. I yeah, know I, that I responded the, to one of them and said that was the overwhelming favorite. Ricky Price was the one we got the most, I think. And and I responded to one of them and said, "Look, this isn't my fault. I don't really remember Ricky Price, but Jason, <laughs> can you speak to can you speak to the Cassius Stanley Ricky Price comparison?" Uh, so the only thing I'd say about the Cassius Stanley Ricky Price comparison is that Cassius Stanley Ricky Price was a very good athlete. Cassius Stanley is a truly elite athlete. Um, more of an athlete, in my opinion, than Ricky Price was. I feel like Ricky Price was a little more skilled, um, uh, you know, in terms of his own shot creation uh, than Cassius Stanley is. Cassius Stanley kind of he uses his quickness. He uses a little bit of brute strength. Um, Ricky Price was a little more, in my mind, creative with the ball in his hands than, than Cassius Stanley was. But I, I'm going to freely admit Ricky Price is like 20 years ago, <laughs> more than 20 years ago, but a, a, a good comparison. And, and I'm impressed that so many of our, of our listeners are going back, back that far to, to find the, uh, the comparisons there to Cassius Stanley. We also got a few Corey Maggettis. Um, and, and I, you know, I think that might be a little more on target. McGetty was a little more raw than Cassius Stanley is, um, uh, McGetty was as explosive as Cassius Stanley is. McGetty was even more explosive. It's kind of hard, I think, to remember Corey McGetty because playing on that 1999 team, we were beating the doors off of everyone. Like there were most of our games were finished within like 10 minutes of the game. We were crushing teams by 20 points at halftime routinely. And so you didn't get a great sense. Corey McGetty was just running out there, slapping backboards, doing stuff like that. You didn't get a great sense of what he could do in a, in a pressured environment, like the way you are with Cassius Stanley. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I like hearing about all this stuff. It's fun. And it'll probably encourage me to go watch some, some old Duke tape from the nineties because everyone loves watching Duke tape from the nineties. Right. I mean, that's, oh, yeah. Yeah. that's a real, that's a real pastime. All right. We will, <laughs> we will move uh, quickly to a, an unfortunate topic, which is the state of the football team. So uh, if, if that's not your cup of tea, uh, here we go. Duke, Duke got, I, I, so I pulled up my notes from last week uh, from the Notre Dame game. And all I had written was Duke got housed by Notre Dame at Wallace Wade stadium. So I just, I just selected Notre Dame crossed it out and I wrote and I now in my notes it says Duke got housed by Syracuse at Wallace Wade Stadium uh it was 49 to 6 the Blue Devils couldn't really move the ball pretty much nothing was working except uh except our holder uh apparently is very good at, at holding the ball but uh that's <laughs> <sighs> that, that's about all we can say for that Duke's now 4 and 6 on the season and staring at uh, a final two games of Wake and Miami that are both totally losable given the uh, given the state of the team right now, and that Wake Forest has been uh, surprisingly one of the one of the better teams in the in the ACC this season. So, Jason, what <laughs> give me give me one reason, I guess, for hope that Duke is making a bowl game this year? Am I allowed to pass? That's on it. That? I mean, I don't know. That's it. We uh, want you want hope. Okay, here's hope. We have two more games remaining, and if we win both of those games, we will go to a bowl. So, so that's your hope. I, I mean, we just lost 49 to six to a team that hadn't won a single ACC game. They were, they were zero and five in the ACC prior to this game and they beat us 49 to six. Um, uh, this Duke team, we, we just, we can't hold on to the ball. I mean, there's just too many turnovers. Um, I think I saw someplace that Quentin Harris 
I, I could be wrong. I'm not certain. I, I believe I read that Quentin Harris leads all Division One players in turnovers this season. Um, that's not good. That, that's not good. Uh, you know, if your quarterback's going to lead the country in a statistic, you don't want it to be in combined interceptions and fumbles. Um, but, but I believe, and someone please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I think I heard that Quentin Harris is um, has more turnovers than any other player in Division One football this year. I wouldn't be surprised if that, you know, like there are certain stats you hear and you go, wow, that's shocking. Uh, there are a lot of you out there listening to me right now who are probably going, yeah, no, I'm not surprised at that at all. Uh, it, look, Quentin's doing his best. I, I think there's just a simple reality, uh, you know, in, in what Duke has on offense. Uh, we can't rush the ball. We averaged less than three yards per rush. We can't throw the ball. We averaged less than four yards per pass, which is just atrocious. And Syracuse, Syracuse almost rushed for 300 yards in this game. You're not going to stop anyone when you do that. You're not going to um, you're not going to win when you can't move the ball, and you're not going to win when you can't stop the other team from moving the ball on the ground. 49 to six to Syracuse. This is it's shocking. It feels yeah, I, I tell you, it feels like the the jump pass from our running back to North Carolina's former quarterback that ended the Carolina game. It feels like that broke this team and that they haven't really had anything since then. It's um, so strange because yeah. because Duke was able to bounce right back after the Alabama the like expected Alabama loss at the beginning of the season that we were all in attendance for. Duke yes. bounced right back from that game and delivered two two really convincing wins against, you know, worse opponents but but was still able to do it. So, I think we thought for a few weeks there that Duke was going to be this resilient incredible team and then um, you know, the, the back half of the schedule showed up. And like you said, I, I, I agree with you that the, that that crushing North Carolina loss may have just um, taken the the wind out of this team's sails. And here they are now. I, I don't know what Duke's APR situation is this year. So perhaps there's an opportunity to go one and one the rest of the year and sneak into a bowl game. But uh, I'm sure that, uh, that that's not what the what the team is looking for. I agree that I'm um, I'm surprised given how poised and and in control Quentin Harris was early in the season that he's now sort of reverted back to being the you know the the lower end contributor. I think that we expected coming into the season. We talked about how this Duke team wasn't expected to make a bowl game. That Quentin Harris was a little bit of a placeholder given that he was you know a fifth year senior getting his first time to really be the starter, having backed up Daniel Jones all those years. But yeah, I, I, I guess it's just the, the heightened expectations of early in the season when, when he did seem to be rounding into form and, and here we are, but uh, it's a, it's a bummer that, that it ended up like this, but Hey, two games to go. Uh, perhaps Duke figures out a way to turn it around. Although eh, who knows? It's Would not you... impossible. It's not, impossible. it's not impossible. It's not impossible. But... And, and, and wake and Miami are not, it's not like we're playing Clemson, you know. No. Uh, these, had, these are teams that we are capable of beating, but but boy, the, the past few weeks it just we we've just been destroyed the past two games. Like the, literally, it has been non-competitive, um, and uh, it it would be a really surprising turnaround. I'd love for it to happen, but it would be a surprising turnaround. Let's put it that way. At least our basketball team didn't lose to something called Evansville, right? Ooh, boy, yeah. Uh, I don't think we have to harp on it. It's no, no need, but I don't know if you saw that, but Kentucky lost to Evansville and, uh, I, I don't know where that is. So, uh, um, well, I, 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 so really quick, it has nothing to do with Duke football, but 
that Kentucky loss, one of the things I admire about Coach K is that I feel like even though he has all these freshmen, for the most part, Coach K avoids um, a, a team that just, you know, that is just so up and down that you can't figure them out. I mean, literally Kentucky, Kentucky beat Michigan State the other day. Then they lose to Evansville. I don't know if you saw it, but tonight they almost lost to Utah State. Um, I mean, it, this was a really, really close competitive game, and they they managed to pull it out at the, at the end. Kentucky did, but um, I mean, this Kentucky team looks like they could beat anyone, and they could lose to anyone any any given night. And it's kind of nice that here we are at Duke, and we don't have a situation like that because we've got a guy in Coach K that makes sure um, we are putting our best foot forward or at least close to our best foot forward every single night. And we avoid the truly embarrassing losses. I'm sure someone's going to write to us now and remind me of some embarrassing loss we had. I don't know. We did lose to, we did lose to Lehigh that one time. That was annoying. The NCAA tournament, they had CJ McCollum. All right. Well, you know, whatever. (laughs) It was also before the podcast. So yeah, it doesn't doesn't count. Yeah, it doesn't count. All right, Jason, why don't you, uh, why don't you finish us off here with, uh, with parting shots? What do you have for me this week? So uh, as, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, um, the Blue Devils are the number one team in the nation again. Um, uh, and and uh, again is definitely the way to think about it. Um, uh, Duke sent out a little press release that talked a bit about Duke taking the number one spot, some number one spot in the polls, in the AP polls specifically. Um, Duke has now been the number one team on the AP polls 143 different weeks. That is more than any team in NCAA history. Sam, I'm going to give you a quiz. Do you know who oh boy. the number, number two? Guess who the number two team is in terms of weeks at number one? I'm going to have to guess UCLA. Yeah, you are, you're good. You are correct. UCLA with 134 weeks at number one. Duke, 143. We have more than them. <laughs> Um, and when was the last time UCLA was number one? It's got to be during the during the Kevin Love years or Russell Westbrook. I'm not even sure if they made it that uh, they may have at some point in there. I, I I don't have that off the top of my head. It's been a while. Um, by the way, they did, another, have, they did have Lou Alcindor at one point. I've heard of him. He changed his name. I'm not sure if you heard about that. Ooh, um, what? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, a, a, another great stat in this. I mentioned Duke has been number one 143 different weeks. The rest of the schools in the ACC combined, every other ACC school combined, has been number one a total of 147 weeks. So if Duke can hold on for a little bit, we will have been number one more than every single one of our rivals combined. I think that is truly amazing. Which which includes North Carolina. It does include (laughs) North Carolina. I'm about to get to North Carolina. Um, Coach K has now been ranked number one at some point in 20 different seasons. That's absurd. That's like a joke. That's a crazy number. Um, num- guess who the number two is? There's a tie for second place. Sam, quit trivia time again. Who is number two in seasons in which their team has been number one? Of teams in the ACC? No, no, of everyone in history. All teams. Oh, let's see. Seasons in which their team has been number one. I'm going to guess. I mean, you have to go with, you have to go with, the, with one of the Blue Buds, right? So it's got to be Kentucky. I'm looking for coaches. Oh, coaches. This is Coach um, K's been number one 20 different seasons. Who are the, there's a tie for second place. Uh, I'm going to guess. Well, okay. So if it's coaches, then Rick Pitino. Nope. Ooh, okay. Uh, what about, I guess, John Calipari, because we talked about him. Nope. Hmm. All right. Uh, Dean about, Smith? Think, uh, no, no. But one of his disciples, Roy Williams. 
Roy Williams is one number of them. one in 12 different seasons, and so has John Wooden. You pulled the UCLA oh, earlier. Well, yeah. You should have gone back to UCLA. I John thought we Wooden, were. I thought yeah. we were gonna. I thought we were gonna move on to somebody else. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that makes sense for all John the years. Wooden, for all the years that they were number one, it was all John Wooden. Yeah, John Wooden and Roy Williams, 12 years uh, having a number one team. Coach K, 20, 20 years. Um, and Duke, um, it, it's you know, it's just unbelievable. Duke has played 250 games as the number one team in the land and just 100 under Coach K. This is all under Coach K. 250 games is the number one team in the land, and we've only played 144 games unranked. It is more likely that a Coach K team will be number one than they will be unranked. So I, I just had to throw out some of those stats to people. I think they are incredible, incredible numbers. Um, uh, it should come as no surprise that the Blue Devils are once again sitting atop the number one ranking um, uh, as as we come here, you know, to the beginning of the middle of the season or whatever you want to call it. it yeah, the the yeah. early the early part of the year, but yeah, whatever. But yeah. Getting into the getting into the meat of it. We'll throw it back to Donald Wine, who, as we mentioned earlier, is not here, but he did send us a parting shot. So, Donald, take it away. Guys, real quick, I just wanted to say thank you for allowing me to record once again from afar. I did this over the summer in France uh, when I was in France, and uh, now I'm in the Cayman Islands. Uh, I don't know what other uh, uh, foreign country I will be in next time I do this, but uh, I'm glad we actually have this ability to do that because it allows all of us to be able to contribute when we can. So uh, again, thank you for letting me do that. And uh, hopefully uh, the rest of the podcast went well. I'm sure it will. And I look forward to listening to it. All right. And I am going to finish up this week on parting shots with a general note that everyone should be paying attention to what happens in this Memphis James Wiseman NCAA case. It is somewhat unique given the circumstances around Penny Hardway's relationship with Memphis, the university and Memphis, the set of players in the in the area who were all going to be committing to play for him if he ever became a college coach so it's a little bit different i think than a lot of the other recruiting and pay the players stories but is something interesting to watch nonetheless because it's a high profile situation given paying hardaway's stature within basketball and his um i think seeming general benevolence towards um, towards a lot of these Memphis basketball players. So we don't know how it's going to end right now. James Wiseman is suspended and we have no idea if the NCAA will reinstate him uh, knowing that Penny Hardaway provided uh, some cash to the Wiseman family or to James Wiseman's family when they moved to Memphis a few years ago, $11,000 of cash. I yeah. Mean, well, so it was not a, nothing, it was not nothing, month, but, yeah. but more than simple moving expenses. So, um, yeah. I, so anyway, I, Really quick, I, 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 the fascinating thing to me about that story is how Memphis kind of caved. Now, uh, most people think that that Memphis talked to the NCAA and that you know they kind of not to say that anyone's worked out a deal or anything like that, but that they Memphis probably got some assurances from the NCAA that um, that James Wiseman was going to be able to come back at some point. That the the penalty that the NCAA puts on him won't be too harsh. But Memphis kind of really caved here. I mean, they literally went from one day they were like sticking their middle finger up at the NCAA and saying, hey, we're playing him anyway. We think you're dead wrong and we are 100 percent right. And the NCAA kind of said, OK, guys, but just so we're clear, you're really, really, really violating our rules. <laughs> and, and there was all this talk that Memphis was going to take the NCAA to court. And the courts have found again and again and again that 
you are a voluntary member of the NCAA organization. And as a voluntary member, you kind of have to play by the rules that the organization makes. So Memphis was talking like they were going to go to court, but everyone knows they were going to lose in court. <laughs> and uh, I think they they had a week of going, yeah, we're sticking to the NCAA. And then they kind of went, you know what? This this probably isn't going to work out for us too well. And and they changed their minds. So, uh, so I, I think that's sort of a interesting subtext in all this. I'm going to be very interested in seeing what the NCAA does. And I hope James Wiseman gets to come back and play. I don't feel like Penny Hardaway did something that awful. Um, and uh, I really want to see James Wiseman um, playing meaningful games against meaningful opponents because we're going to be watching him playing in the NBA for a long time, I think. And I, I like getting the preview in college. And special, I guess, for the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday this week. Uh, Jason Evans, of course, is our resident movie expert here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Among other things, he is he is renowned across DBR for his <laughs> for his movie expertise. So, Jason, uh, you told me ahead of time that you had some movie recommendations for folks headed into the unbearable holiday with their families. So, tell us how to how to avoid spending time with family next week. Yeah, so there are two films that I saw just in the past uh, several days that I think that are coming out at Thanksgiving. And I want to tell all of you out there, please go see these two movies. The first one is called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. This is the uh, the story with Tom Hanks um, uh, playing Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. Uh, just so you know, the film is not a biography of Fred Rogers. It is, uh, In fact, it is almost more about this reporter who's doing a story on Mr. Rogers than it is about Mr. Rogers. But every single second that Tom Hanks is on screen is absolutely magical in this film. And the amazing thing about this movie, and I'm telling you folks, go see it. Some films out there, a lot of them, they like to thrill you. They like to make you laugh. Maybe they like to quicken your pulse or something like that. Maybe they like to, to make you cry or feel romantic. It is truly, truly rare and unusual for a movie's goal to be to make you a better person. And I actually feel like that's what this movie was trying to do. Um, it's a, it's just a great film to think about the message of it. So go out and see that. It's a good film to see with family. Um, I, I think it's a, a wonderful picture. But then the one I'm really recommending, every single person listening to my voice, go see Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. Uh, the film stars Daniel Craig, um, Chris Evans is in it. It's got a one, Jamie Lee Curtis, Don Johnson. It's got a really wonderful cast. This is a murder mystery in the Agatha Christie kind of vein, but Ryan Johnson loves to sort of take the traditional, um, uh, he takes he takes movie styles and he turns them on their ear in a way you wouldn't expect. And this movie does that exact thing. Uh, it is as much fun as I've had in the movies all year. It is as funny as any film I've seen at the movies all year. Don't be spoiled. Don't find out too much about it. I haven't given you anything that will spoil anything for you. Please just go see this film. You will adore it. I loved it. It's it's certainly a contender to, to be at the very top of my top 10 best list for this year. Knives out. Uh, Sam, once you see it, I want you to come back on the podcast and tell everyone how much you loved it because I guarantee you are going to love it. Yeah, I am, I am just about the worst movie-going person of the... I'd say of the like community of people who also listen to podcasts. I see, <laughs> I see approximately one movie per year in, in theaters. It's just, so this is what I would say to you. If you're going to see one movie this year, this knives out, knives out is that movie. 
All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll see if I can we'll see if I can find time <laughs> in my in my busy business school schedule of second year to uh, to get to the movies. I don't. I, I just don't know, man. Could be could be too tough. All right. So that'll be it for this week. We will reconvene after the 2K Empire Classic, whatever set of games Duke is playing this weekend in Madison Square Garden. We'll talk to you uh, sometime next week, perhaps uh, again ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday. But for Jason Evans at his friend's house in Atlanta, and for Donald Wine, who is funneling money to drug lords or something down, <laughs> down there in the Caymans, I'm Sam Klein, just living my life in Durham like a regular dude and not doing anything weird at all. And this has been episode 173 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. You can email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. You can hang out with our sponsors, Bird Campbell, by checking them out at their website, birdcampbell.com, which we tell you about every week. And I think that's all the all the outro stuff that we have to do. Right, Jason? Am I, am I missing anything? No? You got okay. it. All you have to do is tell the Duke band to take us home. All we have to do now is say, guys, do it along with me. Ready? Duke Band, Duke Band take us take home. Us home. <laughs>